This is going to be a moving message, and you'll see what I mean by that in just about five minutes. But Acts chapter 15 gives us a unique encounter with what happens when God reaches out into the world and brings a great variety of people into his household. Stuff happens when that happens. Now, we're in a different place than the folks in Acts chapter 15. Our lives don't look exactly like theirs, but there are some inescapable similarities. And I want us to experience the impact of this chapter in those places. I wrote in your outline a initial thought. The church is a melting pot with many different types of people being called and placed together in order to show and do something glorious. That's a general umbrella sitting over the church. It's a melting pot of different people. In this meeting today are different people. We have different backgrounds. We're made of different stuff. But yet we are here today by invitation. There's not a one of us who can look across the aisle or look at somebody here and go, what is he doing here? You might, maybe it's your high school bully enemy. You look across the room and you go, what is he doing here? Uh, he is here by invitation. He is here because God reached into his life and called him to be here. And, and then God turned around and put him in the chair right behind yours. Deal with it, huh? <laughs> now, I know that's a reality for us, and we're going to look at that. But here's, here's the big, important picture. We are called together to show and do something as a collection. So our differences are going to rub at and tear at that purpose. It's just a reality. Don't anybody be shocked by that. Acts chapter 15 is one of those places where if you were wanting to write a brochure for Christianity, you would have left this chapter out. It's got bumps and bruises in it. It's got ugliness in it. It's got divisions and people who had issues with each other. You got to call a meeting. You got to tell on somebody and bring everybody together to another meeting somewhere else to work through these things. If you wanted to say Christianity is this place where God is at work and everything is tidy and everything works well and all the people there are just incredible all the time, you just wouldn't write Acts chapter 15. But aren't you glad that normal means reality? In Acts chapter 15, it means there's problems in the church, but where that becomes a a significant challenge for us is what it is that we're called to together, together. We're, we're in this together for something. And there's some big assignments here. Look, remember these verses. I I won't unpack them, but just real quickly. First Peter two, nine is, is a together statement. We've read it many times to me. It's a defining statement for the church. You are a chosen Race, you're each here by invitation. If you're a Christian, you're here by God's choosing you. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy... But now you've received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Everybody in this room, if you're a Christian, you are a sojourner and an exile. You are visitors 
in this realm of life on this planet. You are here temporarily and you're here for a reason. I urge you to abstain because of that call, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation, right? This togetherness of our lives is supposed to be observable. It's supposed to be seeable. It's supposed to be people can look into the church and can see something about God. And so our togetherness portrays that or our togetherness or lack thereof pulls on it and destroys it and affects it as well. Look at Philippians chapter two, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So this togetherness, this bulbs burning bright as individual lights coming together and it becomes a powerful source of light into the world. That's, that's who we are. We are the, the great light source of the world. So it matters how we are together. Right? This passage in Isaiah is, is got a lot to do with the Jew-Gentile element that we're about to see in, in Acts. Is this thing like dancing behind me? What is this thing doing? Oh, it's showing the passages that I'm using? Or it's just freaking out. I don't know what it's doing. Isaiah 49, verse 3. says, And he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob... And to bring back the preserved of Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Are you here this morning aware that this collection is part of salvation reaching to the end of the earth? That's that's big. I mean, I don't know what your job is necessarily when you leave here and what, what makes you feel like I'm doing something significant with my life. But can you think of anything more significant? This world is on a temporary clock. It's, it's going to go away at some point. Everybody's going to stand before God and give an account of their lives. And you and I, these bright bulbs burning with light into a darkened world are taking the salvation of God to the ends of the earth. How many of you know it matters whether you and you get along? Now, if you're here doing nothing, right? Then it really doesn't matter, does it? Because you're not part of anything. You're not, you're not forwarding anything. You're not pushing something to the end of the earth. You just, you know, I just come to church. But if you see the call that God has on us being his people, then it matters how you live towards one another. And then all of a sudden, Acts chapter 15 comes to life with some rather interesting and difficult issues here. Because this melting pot, this church is filled with different people. We are some different people different people. And so guess what happens where there's differences? Wherever you find differences, you find conflicts. 
You find people not getting along. You find people who, who don't like the fact that you're different from me in a category that's very important to me. You're difficult or different to me in a way that I think is wrong. I don't know that everybody thinks it's wrong, but I think what you are and the way you are is wrong. I think it's morally wrong. I think it's inconveniently wrong. Somehow, we come together and we've got some issues with each other. And that's a fact. And it's not going away. And it's real. But I want to introduce us to something here. Because we're going to open up Acts 15 in just a moment. We're going to read about believers who come from a Jewish background. And believers who come from a Gentile background. And they're about to have a major clash. And both of them are going to need to be adjusted. We're going to hear more of one adjustment than the other one. But they're both going to need to get adjusted in order to come together and be something. So here's what I, here's what I want to do. And I need you to pay very, very careful attention here. If you look in your outline under keeping it real. Everybody there? Page 127 in your outline there? We're going to keep it real here this morning. So nobody get comfortable because I'm going to ask everybody to get up from your chair and move in just a second. All right. <clears throat> so I'm going to prepare you for that. Because here's the reality. Uh, I throw out the term Jew and Gentile. Some of you aren't sure which one you are. You know, you are one or the other. But that's such a insignificant matter today that we don't quite get the tension that's here. Uh, we might get it with black and white. Well, that might take us into a place where we get some of these differences uh, but yeah, I'm not aware of too many black, white issues that are present in Acts 15 this way in our church, but there are people here today that I'm going to rename these, these Jewish and Gentile tendencies, right? The Jewish people came from a background. They had tendencies to see things a certain way, to define life a certain way and to look upon others a certain way. And then on the other hand, the Gentiles came into the church And they had a certain cultural background. They had been raised a certain way. They had certain values and things that were important to them. They had a tendency to see life a certain way. All right, now that's true. That is true here today. So I want to locate you this morning. So give me some grace here because I've created some concepts that might not 100% describe you, but you're going to have to choose one or the other in just a moment. You're going to have to label yourself either with J tendencies or G tendencies. Okay? So you might say, well, I'm kind of a mixture of both. Well, at the end of the day, pick the one that you're most like. Okay? All right. J tendencies. These are tendencies to be more rule or principle-based in how you approach life. You're less prone to to nuance or or tolerated variety. You're more of a black and white person. You know, that's right and that's wrong. There's not a lot in between. It's either right or it's wrong. Uh, You tend to have strong convictions in various areas of life. And you, and you get concerned when others lack those convictions, right? There are people in the room here, you are a concerned person, right? That's, that's, that's the only time I engage you is when you have concerns because there are convictions that sit in you that disturb you when you don't see them in place. So, I mean, you locate yourself in this conversation, right? All right, here's another. J tendencies tends, tends to be uh, conservative, in your judgment of what's okay and what's not okay. You know, you're kind of really conservative in that area. You're more apt to say with, uh, to stay with traditions and, and older ways, things that have been in place. 
than to accept new ways or to try some things uh, that are new. If you had preferential themes on what what are we going to speak on this morning, your preference, the stuff that you kind of come to life over, you'd be drawn more to messages that emphasize holiness, obedience, anti-worldliness messages that get a good amen from you, uh, or you appreciate messages that require something from us. You know, it's like God's calling us to do something. Yeah, that, that's right. Or that emphasize our responsibility as Christians. Um, you're probably not real comfortable with the practice of Christians who may be drinking. Not comfortable with that. Not comfortable with Christians listening to secular music. Maybe not comfortable with Christians going to movies, uh, wearing trendy clothing. Right, this is a kind of... J, this is a J tendency. This is what I'm going to call a J tendency. And in just a moment, I want all the J tendency people to sit on this side of the auditorium. Okay. So if you're a J tendency person, now listen, husbands and wives are going to have to separate this morning. Right. And, and matter of fact, by way of marriage counseling, this will be very helpful for you. (laughs) I'm serious. Uh, Because these are the kind of differences that you don't pay attention to that you can't figure out why my spouse is driving me nuts. Uh, well, because they got J tendencies and you got G tendencies. All right. Well, chapter 15 is going to help you this morning. All right. Here's some G tendencies right, representing our Gentile persuasion. These tendencies tend to be more license oriented. You tend to give yourself and others more permission to do things that might be questioned by others. I mean, just okay with that. I don't see anything wrong with that. Uh, the Bible doesn't specifically speak against this or that. Uh, you, you probably... Uh, tend to not have weighty concerns about whether other Christians are drinking, uh, whether they're going to movies or uh, what kind of entertainment pursuits they have, whether they listen to secular music that doesn't kind of like make you kind of go, oh my gosh, I'm concerned. Well, you're just not. You're just not concerned over that. Uh, you're less constrained in your decisions. You're more open to do things that you've not previously done or that lots of others aren't doing. You just kind of just give that a whirl. Let's try it out. Tend to be more permissive then restrictive when you approach thinking in situations, more moderate or tolerant than you are restrained or concerned. Uh, Your preferential themes may be more drawn to themes of grace. Love messages that are about grace. They're about forgiveness. They're about love. Maybe prone to take offense at people who seem intolerant or rigid. You know, you get around somebody who's just really got these strong convictions for you. That kind of makes you feel like that person's got problems. Um, just kind of irritated by that. Tend to appreciate messages that emphasize our freedoms as believers. When I make that point in the message, yes, I get an amen from you on that. The freedom that we have in Christ and the forgiveness and the, the benefit. You love indicatives. All the things that God has done for us tend to be the things that, that you love. All right. Was that clear enough for you to find yourself? All right. So, all right, so I need all the J tendency people to get up and move to this side of the auditorium. <laughs> uh, follow your fearless leader. I need all the G tendency people to get up and move to this side of the auditorium. All right, everybody play along. Everybody's got to move. Y'all can high five on the way. Just exchange a high five with each other on the way. Yeah. We'll take a picture. Hey, can you press the pause button on the message for just a second?
All right. We all set? Micah, can you go ahead and press the pause button again? Go ahead and unpause this. It looks like we're pretty balanced here. Looks like we got a few more, few more G than J's in the room here. <laughs> the J people are already saying that that's a problem. I, th- I think you're going to see the J people the loudest in Acts 15 as well as in this meeting. <laughs> also, they're the ones that force the meeting. By the way, that's why we have this meeting. But for those of you G people who feel like, yeah, we would never do that, when we get to the end of the letter, make sure you notice how you get adjusted as well, okay? (laughs) Because the G people always come off as being nicer, but you got issues, G people. (laughs) You got issues too, and they need to be adjusted in this passage. All right, everybody in Acts chapter 15? No, I'm going to move back and forth. (laughs) I'm going to be a moving target so you can't figure out who I am. I need to get rid of this thing that keeps blinking at me. All right. All right, Acts 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after they had, there had been much debate. This is, these are the kind of words that are in a melting pot. You melt people together, you get debates in the midst of their thinking. Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why Are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name, right? People by invitation only. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. 
that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. For he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas and called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord. Can you hold on to that? This is, this is the supernatural thing God does in this melting pot. So he takes different people and he brings them into one accord. To choose men and to send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Let's pray. Father, we, we are not a people facing exactly the issues present in Acts 15. But we are a people facing similar issues. A people called, just as they were, to represent you and to proclaim your glory upon this earth. To reveal the invisible God. To take your great salvation to the ends of the earth. And we are different. And Lord, we want to learn and receive so that we might come together in unity in a manner that represents those who can say it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So Lord, help us today that we might live for your glory as a church in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this chapter, it opens with what you would find in a melting pot. It opens with controversy, moves quickly to dissension and debate. Strong words are being shared, fingers are being pointed, voices are being raised. Others must be called in. Leaders have to step in and leaders have to lead when they step in. So they have to say something and give direction. A decision must be made to adjust both parties, right? The J group's going to get adjusted here and the G group is going to get adjusted here. And all that is normal. Conflict and disagreement among believers is normal. You don't have to agree with each other. Be released from thinking that way. 
from being bound to thinking that way, of, of thinking that if Christianity involves strongly held views and differences, then somebody's doing something wrong. No, not necessarily. But I can, I can tell you this, and this is, this is a growing need. It's not a diminishing need. It's a growing need because I, I find people don't do different very well. People don't do disagreement very well. As a matter of fact, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I won't say I'm the source of disagreement, but sometimes I say something that becomes a source of disagreement. Or we make a decision as a church to lead something in a particular way, and that decision becomes a source of disagreement. People think it shouldn't have been done that way. We should do something different than that. It's been my experience of walking with people who either have disagreements with each other and they're trying to work it out, or they have disagreements with me or others. Uh, I don't want to say no one ever goes to the right person, but I wouldn't be too far off if I said that. Because it's almost as though we as the people of God have created some cheap form of relationship that I can only go to you if I'm going to say something to you that you affirm or you agree with. But if I have a conversation with you that challenges what you believe, or you're going to challenge what I believe, I don't want to do anything with that. And I don't want to be around that. So what I'll do is I'll shop for somebody else to talk to who will be more in agreement with me about me disagreeing with you. And that's all over the body of Christ. It's terrible. And maybe it's because we don't have a place of normalizing the fact that you feel strongly about something and I feel strongly about something. And when we get together with our limited brain cells between the two of us, and probably neither one of us are fully right in seeing this, we don't know how to talk to each other. So we just sin and we go to somebody else and talk to them about what I need to be talking to you about. This, this is prolific in the body of Christ. So this issue, we looked last week at, this was an issue that was so central to the gospel that these were fighting words, right? These were things that we couldn't just say, hey, look, you're free to have your view and I'm free to have mine. Now, a bunch of the things that we do this with are exactly that. You're free to have your view and I'm free to have mine. And you know what? I don't have to like your view. You can have your position on something and don't get freaked out and weirded out if my view is different than yours. If I just, I don't, and I don't even like your view. But, you know, it's, I don't know. I mean, we get our hair done so people like our hair. It's like, you know, we find out they didn't like our hair. We're just weird people. If you, if you walked into a church, these churches that got formed in Galatia, you know, you got all the Jews sitting on one side and you got all the Gentiles sitting on the other. That's not too far from exactly what you'd have seen. Because the Jews came from a certain background. They had certain, they dressed a certain way. They had certain dialect to how they talked. Certain things were kosher. I didn't mean to say it that way, but certain things were right and certain things were wrong. You just didn't say certain things in certain social settings. I mean, you understand they were very, very different. The the Jewish congregation would have grown up with a hostility to the Gentile world. The things that they did were were dirty and they they were... They were worldly and they were just uncouth. You just don't behave that way. You don't talk that way. You sound like you're from that side of the tracks. And then if you were a Gentile coming into the church, you, you grew up very, very differently. You didn't grow up with these religious traditions in your home. 
You weren't taught about the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and had a, developed a sense of uh, respect and revere for this God. You didn't have these rich traditions that your grandmother and your grandmother's grandmother all kind of walked in and passed on to you. You just, you know, you kind of shot from the hip and you had the latest trends in, in Greek mythology and Roman pantheism and all the, the Greek culture that was surrounding you. It was all common to your life. Sinful activity was was just common. And they weren't used to bumping into the ideas that the Jewish people have been bumping into all their life. And so they come into the church and they do stuff. They do stuff that needed to get corrected in this letter. They're sleeping with each other. They are. Can you guys believe those guys are sleeping with each other? Can you believe that? But you were raised in a culture that was clearly taught. No, no, that's, that, this is wrong. Not only were you clearly taught that fornication was wrong, that's being corrected in this letter. But you were taught about meat that you ate and, and where it came from and how it was treated before you ate it. And that was instilled in you in a way that you held it as a conviction. And then people come into the church, I don't know, you know with their napkins and their dobbing the blood off their face from the rare meat that they're eating on their way in. They set up a table outside a picnic. They were tailgating on the way in. Can you believe it? And you come in and you get as far away from them as you can. And you sit back here with other people that think like you. And you look at those people and think, can you believe it? They're tailgating again. Raw meat uncooked. You know, I'm just freaking out about this stuff. And this is probably, in a large way, what the church began to look and feel like. People had one set of views and values coming in contact with people who had a different one. And an adjustment is, is needing to take place. Let me just take us through learning a little bit of the anatomy of debate and discussion in the melting pot. Right, this is just to inform you. When you go to engage somebody who's different than you are, this is just a couple of insights from these passages as to what you're going to bump into, right? First, people naturally begin with their own frame of reference. Don't be shocked that what has made sense to you all these years doesn't reside in them. It's not what they were around. It's not the things that have convinced them, right? So you have these Pharisee converts They had challenges in overcoming their previous views, their previous traditions, their strong-held convictions that that we're God's people. We're we're the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we're God's people. And and when you became a a member of the household of God, like Abraham did, you, you circumcised your children as a symbol of the covenant. And so, so are these people going to be circumcised? This is important. God took a a people from among nations and he brought them to a mountain and he revealed himself to them. And he revealed what is called here the customs of Moses or the laws of Moses. God revealed himself. God said that was important. Do they know that? Because it doesn't look like they treat what God has said as important. They fornicate. It's just no big deal for them to, to sleep with each other. They've got these views of marriage that, like you marriage this, you marry this person in order to build a family, but you sleep around with all those people in order to enjoy sex. This, that's the view they're coming into the church with. I mean, have they heard of anything here? All right, this, is, this is what's going on on the Jewish side of the equation. Does anybody read this and go, 
you know, me, me over here reading it, and you're thinking, I mean, really, can, can somebody like these, I mean, these Pharisees who have these strong beliefs that you've got to do this and do this and do this in order to be a Christian, can, they, can that person even be saved? Come on, really? You with me? Can you be saved if you offer such requirements for people? You, you have to be circumcised? I mean, can somebody even believe that and be saved? You're not asking that question? I'm asking that question. I do ask that question. At what point do you believe too much of the wrong thing to actually invalidate what it means to believe in the gospel? It's an interesting thought. The Gentile converts, I mean, their lifestyle is in place long before they come into the body of Christ, long before they relate to Jewish people. People who seem to have a much clearer understanding about morality because God revealed it to them in the mountain. Right? Does, any, does anybody have a problem thinking that you could have Christians sitting on the other side of the room that are fornicating? They did it last week and the week before that. I mean, are they even Christians? That's what's in their life. How about this? Any, anybody got a problem with what kind of leadership are these people getting anyway? I mean, supposedly these are churches planted by the apostles. Right, so the apostles who we think are preaching the gospel, how is it possible for you to preach the gospel to people and have a whole section of people standing up and saying, yeah, but unless you're circumcised, you can't, you can't be a part of God's people. You can't be saved unless you're circumcised. It's like, well, does that reflect that the leaders didn't preach the gospel well? Or they didn't lead their churches well? Because certainly, certainly, if these apostles were leading their churches well, these folks would stop fornicating and, and hanging out with idols, wouldn't they? There's a lot to be learned here, isn't there? But apparently in real life, when you go to do real life with real people who have tendencies and backgrounds and real leaders who lead however they were leading, pretty sure Paul was getting the gospel right. I don't know if I could challenge him on that one. But it's, it's in his churches where this stuff is breaking out. The churches in Galatia, where Paul laid the foundations for those churches, preaching the gospel to them. How soon you have abandoned the gospel that I spoke to you. I mean, these are questions in our melting pot. There's some interesting insight here. So how, how, do, how do we move towards a resolution in this? The great model here. It's modeled by James for us in verse 13. Here's the basis for finding common ground and making decisions, right? You've got one group that feels one way, another group that feels another way. There's, there's background, there's emotion, there's family history. There's things that have always been dear to you and that represents how you feel. And there's the same stuff that represents how you feel. And then we come together and debate. And so this side debates from what's familiar to them and their own level of emotion because their grandfather spoke about people that did stuff like that. And they just, for no reason that they can understand, carry the same vim and vigor over it. And they come to the table to discuss those issues and they're all fired up, man. And then on this side, you've got a different set of emotions and feelings and associations and background and people you respect who live their life a certain way. How do you decide? Do you, do you take the best of this one's arguments and the best of that one's argument and find the middle ground? Is that, is that how we do this? We find these categories where we have disagreements on that affect the life of the body and we just, we just come together and just kind of find middle ground. Okay. What James does here is what everybody as believers, is called upon to do. Verse 13, after they finish speaking. 
Okay, a couple of good arguments have been made here. James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Where does James get his argument from? His background, his personal friendships, his emotions, his strength of how he feels about this near and dear subject to his heart. He, he doesn't even get it simply from what Peter has presented in what God has accompanied through signs and wonders that we've been preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and God has chosen to reveal himself to them and save them. He doesn't just say, hey, hey, that's good enough for me. I mean, heck, you see the miracles that were happening with Paul and Barnabas and Peter? That's got to mean that God was with these guys and they've been preaching the gospel. James settles the matter by saying what, what Peter just explained to us is what the scriptures say. That's how we have a debate. And at the end of the day, he says, therefore, my judgment is here. All right, question, whether where you are in the room, J tendencies, G tendencies, when you go to have a debate over something, what's going to rule your final position over that debate? Your emotion? Your allegiances? Your loyalties to people? What, what, what solves the debate here? Because G, J people and G people tend to see salvation maybe a little bit differently. Right? J people, we've already met some of the Pharisees. They can be very rigid. It's, it's this. It's got to be this. We're confident that it's this. G people tend to be a little bit more tolerant. It's a little bit more, it's okay. People have some different views on that. That's all right. So I throw out the subject of salvation. How does somebody get right with God? What's, what's the basis for your conclusion? What, what settles this matter for you? Let me, let me tell you what unbolts you. You're going to have relationships with people. You're going to have loyalties to them. And you're going to discover that they don't believe what you think they need to believe in order to be saved. I just want to prepare you for this. When that happens to you, you're going to seek to adjust your doctrine of salvation in order to remedy that discomfort. These are people you love. These are family members. These are family members who have died. And as best you could ascertain, they don't believe what you think the gospel calls upon them to believe. And you're going to have an argument with yourself. How are you going to settle that argument? Are you going to adjust the gospel so that it sounds a little bit more like something that they could have been okay with? They fit in that. If I just, if I just make it a little more gray and blurry, they fit in that category. Okay, listen, do you understand even, and, can, and I ain't talking out of school here, right? I have relatives in this category. It would be very, very tempting for me to try and take the gospel and just pull on its edges and blur them so that somehow people with vague understandings fit underneath that bubble. You are no more tempted in that category than I am. 
And yet I don't have permission to adjust the gospel. That doesn't exist for me. I've got to do what James did. I've got to go to what the prophet said. I've got to go to the word of God and I've got to let the word of God tell me what it tells me. And it must define my view. Not only in a category of, of salvation, but you've got, you got family definitions that are up for debate today. California is considering a law. May have passed it already. It was up for presentation last couple of weeks ago. That would redefine parents as more than two people. So a child could have three parents, four parents. I don't know if they put a cap on it, how many parents a child could have who quote are people who are vested in looking out for the best interest of the child. And that sounds like a noble reason to adjust that, right? Just trying to get a group of people looking out for the best interest of the child, but it's, it's a redefining of something that God has already defined. And what are you going to do with that? How are you going to debate that? You're going to come into the body of Christ. You got an opinion. You just got saved yesterday. You, you think that's a pretty good idea. Uh, same sex marriage. You come in from a culture that has been teaching you every day, teaching you every day, how to view this how to not view it, how to handle this, how to not handle it. And you step into the body of Christ and you find out somebody in your small group got some real strong opinions about this. They say some things in a way that just feels like they just threw up razors in the middle of the conversation and just cutting everything up. It's awkward. It's how are you going to settle that? Do you settle it, you know, out of your G type personality, out of your J type personality, What's the word of God got to say about our, our debating some of these things? Right, so there's a little bit something to learn here in Acts chapter 15. All these feelings, all this confusion, all these offenses that were taking place in the body of Christ. But when it goes to form a position, it needs to be informed by this word. Not by some sense of, of well, let's compromise. These guys will like this. These guys will like that. I mean, there is some realm of understanding that's in here. But the basis for whatever they're going to do next is found on the pages of Scripture. Oh, and by the way, if you can't find a basis for it, then it's probably not that important of an issue. Right? If you're freaking out trying to find out whether the, the Bible's got something really strong to say about your hair color. You're just freaking out because you know sister so-and-so over there in the J group is going to have something to say about your hair color. And you're trying to find a Bible verse to back up why your hair color is that color and you can't find it. So now you're trying to figure out how to defend yourself from Sister J over here who's going to definitely have something to say about that. All right, can you learn something from this? If the Bible had wanted to have, you know, the short book like Jude be about hairstyles, it would be about that. And we'd all be able to open up to Jude and have a firm debate and a position on hair color. We'd be able to do that in the body of Christ. Hallelujah. <laughs> Apparently, that's not that big a deal to God. Right? So whatever side of that debate you're on, don't go making a big deal out of stuff that the Bible doesn't make a big deal out of. That doesn't help the body of Christ shine like lights in a world that's dark. It just helps us be, in a, be a pain in the butt to each other. That's what it helps us to do. All right? Here's an insight. A couple of folks are going to get adjusted here, and I'm going to turn this into our world in just a second. Here's insights from the ruling decision. 
adjusting the J tendencies and the G tendencies of the church. Remember, this is a, a melting pot. So when you melt things together, adjustments have to get made. All right, so the church doesn't just suddenly shift and everybody's like a J person. Or it shifts and everybody's like a G person. Right? That There's some melting together that's got to happen here. First, the Jews, or those with J tendencies, are not to add requirements to the gospel of grace that is received by faith. Rule in this chapter. Don't do that. Don't create rules where the Bible didn't create rules. Don't seek to place into the hand of human achievement things that the Bible doesn't locate in human achievements. Don't do that. The argument here is a concern about salvation that is by grace received by faith. It's not on the basis of activity of human effort. That's got to be protected. It's got to be guarded. And that's guarded here. And the Jews who are seeking to bring that activity into the equation, they've got to be adjusted. J tendencies get adjusted here. You look down in verse 7. Peter unpacks the fact that historically the misuse of the law has placed a burden on people that our fathers couldn't bear it. We couldn't bear it. Why are we adding that to others? At the end of the day, he says in verse 11, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, just as they will. At the end of the day, it will not be adherence to a code. It will not be some work that they did. It will not be how well they honor the custom of Moses or whether or not they embrace circumcision. It will be salvation by grace through faith alone. Now, here's an interesting thing for the J tendency folks to be aware of. It's over in verse 24. All right, remember, these are, these are tendencies where a, a party in the church is going to feel like these are good things and they're necessary things. People need to hear this. But that's not how the leaders viewed what they were saying. Verse 24, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds. Troubled you with words unsettling your minds. This this happens in the body of Christ. This happens today. People come to Christ God has brought them into a realm of faith they don't understand a lot. They've understood enough to look upon the person and work of Christ and to, and to put hope in him for the rest of their life. That's about it. They can't find their way around the Bible. Uh, they, they, they don't understand much of the ways, the customs, the practices, etc. And the J tendency person picks up all of his 30, 40 years of Christian experience and runs over to this person and places it upon them. And the fruit of that, according to these leaders, is you have troubled. You've been troubled by this and unsettled by this. God's at work in your life, but this has just troubled you and unsettled you. That's what this has done to you. Be, be aware, right? This is a responsibility issue. So I'm going to pick on this side. 
if you're a person who tends to be black and white and how you see things, right and wrong and how you see things, when you bump into somebody's deficiency or they're not quite doing it the way they're supposed to be doing it, there's something in you that screams, wrong, 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 it's wrong, eat it, kill it, it's wrong, go after it, it's wrong, you cannot let it survive for another moment, it's wrong, it's like mold, it'll consume the building. Uh, that's not going to help when you go to interact with the person on the receiving end of that. They're going to end up just being troubled by you and unsettled by you. And then some leaders are going to have to come behind the mess that's been created and try and get their feet back up underneath them. Does that mean I don't say anything to them? No, it just means you, you should be aware that there are people on this side of the room. They're not so black and white. And they don't have some understanding that maybe you legitimately have. Or maybe you have taken a personal preference. This happens a lot. Personal preference about the aspect of the Christian life that makes sense to you. Whether it's circumcision or something else. But it makes sense to you. It's a cornerstone issue. It's very important. And you need it to be very important to the guy sitting over there. And it doesn't look like this is important to you. And I'm troubled by that. See, because I'm one of the people who are concerned about things. I'm concerned about you because you don't own this correctly. So I'm going to seek to jam it down your life. And you will own it at the end of our conversation. In spite of the fact that it's taken me 27 years to own it, you will own it in 27 minutes. <laughs> Pay careful attention. Move quickly. Uh, don't, don't do that. And, and, and I realize I'm almost talking to people who are trying to tell you, some people on the other side of the room are left-handed. I mean, they're just different than you. You just, well, it makes sense to me that it's black and white. It doesn't make sense to them that way, and they're not wrong because of it. They're just different than you. And they're here by invitation. And you're called to walk with them. And you may need to be adjusted in order for that to happen. The Gentiles... Uh, they were needing to adjust their poorly informed lifestyles in order to live in a way that glorified God and served and serve the larger community of the faith. Right? You look here. Here's the, the quick decree. Verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. But, but that doesn't mean leave them alone. Doesn't mean don't say anything to them. Doesn't mean don't correct them. You ready, G group? But we should write to them to abstain. Stop it. Don't do this. I know you don't like imperatives because you're the, you're the G group. You like indicatives. You like for me to tell you all that God's done on your behalf. Well, in this moment, the leaders of the body of Christ turn to the G group and say, stop it. Stop it. Don't keep doing that. You can't stop it. That sounds so legalistic. I'm sorry. It just is what it is. Abstain from the things polluted by idols. Avoid associating your life with idolatry. Learn what that means. Pay attention to the fact that that's what your background is. That's not what the J group's background is. The Jews came from a non-idolatrous background. Gentiles came from a pluralized society where there's idols everywhere. Everything in life was idolatrous. And yet God turns and leads these leaders to say, be aware of how it is that your life associates with idolatry and abstain from that. You're going to have to own some of this, right? Abstain from that. Abstain from sexual immorality. 
avoid fornication. However it is that you've learned to have sex sit in your life, you need to relearn it. You need to learn it the way God intended it to be. Stop doing what you're doing and start doing this, right? You need to be adjusted, right? I remember most of this passage is about how bad this group is over here, right? The Pharisees, the believers who are being too stringent, they're messing with justification. But can you please pay attention that when it comes to being a melting pot, this, the conversation doesn't come in with the apostles, you know, representing the G group, Wheeling guns on the guys who are those oppressive J people. Let's fix these J people. I'm going to protect, I'm going to protect you guys from the J people. All right. At some point, the apostles turn around and quite honestly, this last one, especially that you abstain from what has been strangled and from blood. Really? The other one seemed real obvious. That one seems a little, hmm, why is that one there? Well, here's why. Verse 21 for from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. What the heck's that got to do with this? Well, here's what it's got to do with it. You're coming in with this cultural practice of you eat meat a certain way. But these folks have been taught for years and years and years that that's a problem. And they're going to stumble over you doing it. Is it really a problem? Right? I mean, we stand before the gates of heaven. Is it, is it really a problem if you eat meat that's been prepared differently than what they got used to growing up? Is that really this terrible thing? Remember, Paul's going to turn around and explain to the Corinthians, listen, there aren't, there aren't really any idols out there. So, um, uh, you know, a hamburger that got sacrificed to the McDonald's God before you ate it, there is no McDonald's God. So really, you're just eating a piece of meat. That's really what's happening here. However, he says, in this instance, these people over here, they've been taught a certain way. And if you're, if you're out there tailgating on the way in here and you're eating your rear meat, you're going to cause them to stumble. So stop it. Really? Stop it? Yeah. Why? For their sake. You guys stop doing what you're doing with these, you know, imposing extra biblical laws on people for their sake. And you guys, in your, in your ability to be at peace with all things and kind of, hey, the world's a cool place. I don't have a problem with everything going on out there. Uh, pay attention to what affects them. Right? This is a melting pot. God's doing some things that are, that are changing both groups here. Right? So let me, let me bring this home to us in the next few minutes here. Here's, here's our summary insights from this event. Here's the advice we might take today where well-intended traditions are seeking to be imposed on a people of different backgrounds, whatever your tradition is. One, avoid confusing the gospel by polluting the doctrine of justification with human performance or behavior. That's the first thing we see here. And I would say avoid relocating the center of emphasis away from the gospel into a favorite category, into a personal conviction into something for you that makes Christianity special and important. Avoid adding things to the gospel. Avoid relocating the center from the gospel, right? Ken Hughes says, we, are, we all are influenced by our backgrounds. Each of us has experienced some doctrinal or practical distortion because of past experience or environment. The challenge is to identify those points of error or misemphasis before we drift too far away from Christ. 
I read this last week. History and experience have proven that anything made a co-requirement with faith soon shoves faith aside and becomes the means of salvation. Or I would say as well, anything that becomes a major point of emphasis for you soon shoves the gospel aside and you become centered on something else. So in the church, we can become behavior-centered. How are you behaving? What does your lifestyle look like? We can become, many churches have prosperity-centered. Realize you can visit a prosperity church and almost hear nothing of the gospel. You can sit in a prosperity meeting where there's no definition between, who's this message for? Is this for the person who doesn't even know God, who, who thumbs their fist at God on a regular basis? but they just learned to use some techniques about how to believe a few things and they can get what they want. Cause that's what it's kind of sounded like because there's no gospel in it. There's no gospel that says you are either in Christ or out of Christ. Therefore there's this news called the gospel that will put you in Christ because that's been de-emphasized. Now, if you were to pull the speaker down after the end of the message where he had centralized prosperity and ask him to tell you about the gospel, well, he can tell you about it. He'll bring it up. He'll probably explain it to you. Probably explain it accurately. But week in and week out, it's been de-emphasized. It's no longer the center. It's way over there on the edge now. And prosperity is in the center. Or miracles are in the center. People sometimes name their church, you know, like after a a healing or a miracle center. Uh, I've known people who have left the church because they felt that healing was not emphasized enough. I I don't have a problem with emphasizing healing. Uh, it's just not that that kind of healing is on every page in the Bible and the gospel is. Healing is a great thing. Healing is an important thing. We should pursue it. We should be open to it. We should believe and trust God for it. But it's not the central piece of the Bible. So it should never be central. It should be part of our life, but it shouldn't define our life. Uh, People name their church Family Worship Center. Sometimes I think that should be where worshiping the family center because the emphasis has been relocated. It's, it's not the gospel and the person and the work of Christ. It's, it's family, and it's how you do family. It's your definitions for family. It's your convictions about family. So we, we, we relocate the center when we do this kind of stuff. So the next thing you know, the thing that's most clear is if you come in here dressed the wrong way, somebody's going to say something to you because the center has become behavior become external activity. And the the point in which you're going to hear somebody come to life and talk to you is going to be in one of these fringe areas. It's going to be in husbands, how you're doing leading your family, leading your wife. That's the center. Husbands leading their wives, which I've taught a lot and I'm a husband and um, that that, that phrase is, is just filled with who knows what. What does it look like for, to be the husband who's leading his wife? What does it look like for the wife to be submitting to her husband? Well, you develop a definition for that. And then you make sure and you go to people and you share with them what that should look like. This, it's in the Bible. Husbands should lead their wives and wives should submit to their husbands. Children should be respectful. Uh, but, you know, listen, some people, the only time you'll ever hear from them is if they observe your children not saying yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. They've never talked to you about the gospel. They've never celebrated anything about God, but your children don't seem to respect you. They didn't say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. I'm clear on that. Well, that's, that's important to me. Right? Do you understand? This kind of stuff p- 
pushes the gospel to the edge, and then it begins to feature the stuff that drives these two groups nuts. Now we're at war. Because you're all about what I'm wearing and my hair and my children and what I, how I define my role, whether or not my wife works outside the home. We just live shooting at each other now. And you got a group over here who says, what's wrong with any of that? You know, we're just kind of cool. Go with the flow, man. Lighten up. It's grace. Be cool. Chill. And you got people over here right now that are going, oh my gosh, you even saying that in this meeting means there's going to be license and, and husbands are going to abandon everything that it means to be a husband. And I'm concerned. Right? This is what's happening right now as I talk about these topics. And yet the melting pot, this is, this is what will happen. If you're not careful, this is what will happen. The G people will go off and form the G fellowship. Because who the heck wants to be around those J people? You know what I'm talking about? Isn't it just easier to be around people who when you say something and they go, say that again. (gasps) Say that again. Oh, I so agree with that. Oh. Or, you know, to get around the J people and share your concerns and them go, "Mm, yeah, exactly. I know. I've tried to tell them. You just feel so, I'm safe. Uh, you know, you're like a person with strong convictions in an area, and you, sh- you make the mistake of not knowing you're talking to a G person. <laughs> and you just let that out the bag, and you're kind of just, oh, ew, you're all worked up about something, and they're kind of like, what's wrong with that? I mean, I, I still smoke pot on the weekends. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what? <laughs> right? But we're, we're called to do something incredible together. You understand, God had no intention of forming the J church and the G church. If there was ever a day to do it, it was here. Here's the ruling from Acts chapter 15. All the J people meet on Sunday afternoons from now on. Uh, all the G people meet in the morning. You guys don't have to deal with each other. That's not the, that's not the ruling, is it? It's a word to both to tell them how to be the church together with one another. Ken Hughes says, James gives us two complementary principles for grace-filled living. First, as those under grace, we are not to make non-biblical requirements of others. Specifically, those that come from secondary cultural traditions. We are not to make areas of our lifestyle that are not spelled out in scripture normative for others if they are to be, quote, good Christians. If we, this is sobering, if we thrust any of these on others as necessary to a life of grace, we repeat the sin of the Judaizers. And if you want to get your ears pinned back, read the book of Galatians. It's the most scathing letter in the New Testament, and it's not over the fact that people are sleeping around. It's over the fact that you've dared to pollute grace with human effort. We so easily push our preferences on others. We assume they will either do things our way or they are unspiritual. Sadly, sometimes a church will radiate more of this than the gospel. Can everybody put that shoe on if it applies to us today? If somehow we are known to people as a church 
that's about this thing, this conviction, this particular practice. I'm not saying that's even wrong to have it. I don't, I don't want to have it be the centerpiece of who we are. It's not the center of who we are. It may be good. It may be beneficial. It may be something we want to teach and encourage. But it's not the center of who we are. This is sad. Somehow others are never quite right. There's always something more that is needed before they measure up. Such an attitude is not only bad for us, it is deadly to the church. Right, I don't, you don't have to raise a hand here, but I, I wonder if, there, if you're here this morning feeling like that or if you've ever felt like that, like you're never quite right. You know? And it would be you guys who would tend to feel that more. You're never quite right. You're never quite doing enough. You're never quite got it all right. And then we love the fact that we get reminded sometimes about what grace really is. It's a message to people who from the get-go were wandering in Ur of the Chaldees being idol worshipers when God showed up. And we get reminded of, oh yeah, it's never been about me producing this in God. It's been about me receiving it from God's generosity. But yet we still feel like sometimes we just go right back into that mode of, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Am I living by the code enough? Second insight from this section, install a view that takes into account the larger community of faith and its calling and mission, right? This would be more for the G group here. The second principle is because we are under grace, we gladly restrict our freedom for the sake of others. There was not anything intrinsically wrong with eating a rare steak. But James said to boil it or eat it well done for the sake of fellowship with the Jews. All right, laundry list real quick and I'm going to stop. Let's get, let's get real for a second. And if you're attending small groups, and I hope all of you are attending small groups, this is going to be a fun list to talk through. And this might be, let me just say, this might be a great opportunity for you to learn to, to stop running from people you disagree with. I love the idea that you might be sitting in a small group with somebody who has really, really different convictions than yours. Matter of fact, your convictions trouble them. When they hear somebody say that, it fritzes all their wiring out and they just want to go up and smoke. All right, learn, learn how to love each other. Don't, don't go run and find a group where everybody thinks like you. It's like, oh my gosh, people said what? I've got to get the heck out of this group. Is there another group that's more like a G group? Do you all have G groups? Learn how to love each other. Learn, learn how to disagree in a way that's, that's healthy. Learn how to sit in a meeting this week where some of these things come up. Somebody says something that you just, you just don't agree with it. Okay. Learn how to melt together because God's purpose at the end of the day, it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. And we walk together in unity, even if we disagreed about how to do this. I can listen to you say something and try to understand why in your frame of thinking that makes sense to you and it's important to you. And and I can respectfully agree or disagree. I can find things about what you just said that I can agree with and I can maybe state some things that this is is where I have a, a challenge thinking the way you're describing. But I can do that in love. I can do it in respect and I can do it in the way that we walk together. I don't have to just be silent, awkward, sit in the room and then afterwards call somebody that I know thinks like me and get them to agree with me. Let's, let's not learn to be that kind of people. 
There's nothing supernatural in that. It gets supernatural when we start relating to one another in the way that God advertises relating to us, right? You remember, the God of glory dresses himself in humanity. He puts on this outfit. How insulting. And he walks around in this thing, limited by it in space, being mocked and hated by people. And he's obedient to the point of of dying on a cross. There's not a lot of agreement going on. There's not a lot of son of God just thinking, wow, this is like paradise junior. (laughs) This is great. I get to live in a human body and not be able to be everywhere at once. How great is that? It's not great. And you and I get around each other. It's like, well, you're different from me and you require me to have to actually think about your differences. I think I'll just go to another group. Are you kidding me? I think I'll go to another church. Really? What an amazing declaration of a bunch of people who say they've met a God who came to them. And can I say it as nicely as I can? You were obnoxiously different than God when he came to you. Still are. (laughs) And you would be my lights to the end of the earth. All right, you ready? I'm going to read these. I'm not going to spend any time on them. Enjoy interacting with them in your meeting. Uh, Here's some routine J tendency, G tendency adjustments. Entertainment. If you're a J tendency person, uh, question, do I measure Christian depth and maturity on the basis of the types of entertainment people embrace or avoid? Do I prohibit entertainment in ways that go beyond the clear teaching of Scripture? G tendency, do my entertainment choices advertise a pleasure, thrill, fun at all cost mentality where I will engage entertainment that celebrates or promotes something offensive to God? Are my choices influenced by my care for others in the body of Christ, right? So adjustments in this chapter for both in terms of how we approach this subject. Appropriate dress, the J tendency, do I associate appropriate dress with the way I was raised? Or my personal style preferences? Do I treat this area like it is a black and white topic of absolutes or like it's a gray area with acceptable differences? Or if you're a G tendency person, do I dress in a way that is common to my culture? Right? It's kind of the way everybody's always dressed where you grew up. Without regard for whether or not it violates the teachings of scripture on modesty and our call to serve others on the other side of the room. Music preferences, J tendency. Have I created a sacred versus secular model that is not clear in scripture? Nor do I use it consistently in all other areas of life. You know, do you have sacred and secular sports viewing? Do you have sacred and secular news programs? Right? Can I just say this to all the devotees that who can espouse the gospel of Fox News and other conservative bastions of news? Which, I, hey, when I think logically about life and how to do it in the world of government, I, I tend to agree with a lot of those thoughts. But, but, warn you, the person who, when you get around a person and they come to life the next day and they can quote Hannity and Limbaugh and they've got all their ideologies and all their phrases down and they can speak it like they're, like it's the gospel. They're more versed in that stuff 
than they are in explaining the gospel. I want to throw up on you as a Christian. Because I'm pretty sure you can't find Habakkuk. But you know what station Rush is on and what time he's on and what he has to say. Do you see that? I, you know, I don't know. Maybe you got a rule that says, you know, G people listen to that secular music stuff. I don't know what radio stations you're turned into. Really? You tuned into Limbaugh? Can I, can I just break some news to you? Rush Limbaugh is not a godly man. church will be half this size next week. (laughs) Some serious heresy going on in that building, man. Said Rush wasn't godly. Uh, Just listen a little bit. You might like some of his ideas. You might think he's funny. You might like the way he says some stuff. But the dude ain't godly. Godliness has stuff like humility in it. Godliness sees God as the reason for all things. That dude doesn't tether any of his thoughts back to God. He doesn't say this is the way things are because God is the way he is. It's not godly. Sorry. But do you have an intolerance for people who listen to secular music, but you don't mind news programs that are not godly? Right? You don't just turn on the Christian broadcasting station and listen to it all day long, but it's news. News is neutral. Well, no, it's not. It's not accurate or G tendency. Do I listen to music or artists that celebrate idolatry or promotes something offensive to God? Right. At some point the advice turns back to the G group and says, abstain, abstain from those. They're offensive to God. That song dances and celebrates what put Jesus Christ on the cross. Stop feeling good about that, but it's a feel-good song. It's got a great groove to it. Listen to what it's saying and make some kind of adjustments. Alcohol consumption. In the J tendency world, you know, there's a traditional prohibition has existed in the Christian community for many years. Christians simply don't touch alcohol. Do you hold this as a biblical mandate that doesn't leave any room for a different conviction? Then on the G side, a lifestyle that lacks boundaries for alcohol. It celebrates it like it's the life of the party and fails to recognize inherent dangers for myself and others that are associated with alcohol. Right? Listen, I realize, G people, you have grown up in a world where uh, Budweiser commercials have models for you how to display alcoholic beverages. And so now you're, you're your own movie producer, so you're on Facebook, and you've been taught how to hold beer. Um, it's a beer commercial. It's supposed to be about beer. Yours is a life commercial. It's not supposed to be about beer. I'm having a great time. No, it looks like beer is the bastion of all joy in your picture, or whatever it is. Uh, You're a Christian. Can you stop featuring alcohol as a source of fun? It's like, you know, hey, there's, take two pictures from now on. Take one with alcohol in it and one without in it and post them both and just see which one looks more fun. I don't know. The half glass full looks like, man, when we're having a good time, take that away. (laughs) Sucked. It was boring. It was just with people. Slide the glass back in. Woo, baby. That was a fun time, wasn't it? 
That's what these pictures look like. All right, can, you, can you think that there are, some, there are some people on that side of the room that would just love to have a reason to have another drink? But the problem is they're going to have one more and it's going to be two dozen more and their life is going to be upside down in a hole. Do you, you have any sense of owning that? Right, this is a melting pot. It's a melting pot, right? God's put us together to display his glory. And people who don't think like us, but we need to take each other into account. All right? All right, I'm done. Let's pray. (laughs) When everybody walks out of here, I don't want you people saying anything to them. And you guys don't need to talk to them either, all right? Y'all are closest to the door. I just get in the car and go. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you for the ability to open your word and more importantly, to have it open us to the truth that's here, to the wisdom that is here, to understanding you and your ways. Lord, it is a humbling, amazing reality that this is a room full of people who are here by invitation. We are different. We have different strengths and weaknesses. We have different passions. And and Lord, we are together. We are together to take your light to the ends of the earth. Lord, we're not together to irritate, go our own way, uh, have bad things to say about each other, be intolerant, hate one another because we don't understand. Lord, we are here by grace. We should all be amazed. We're here to walk together to seek one another's good and benefits. Lord, may, may our words not trouble one another. And may our lifestyles not confuse and bring stumbling blocks. Lord, make us an amazing people that declare your glory and bring your light all the way to the end of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you guys.